media is wrong, or, or not that it's wrong, but it's not good and healthy in some ways. And then everybody says, oh, well, you told me I can't put pictures of my grandbaby up. You know, no, that's the broad brush that that's not true, because a lot of us agree, and several of you commented, and I appreciate those, uh, that yes, it can be beneficial. We're able to stream, and we're able to share good things and that, and it is beneficial in some ways, but we also understand that there's some dangers out there. So uh, nobody here necessarily does that, but it's just worth mentioning that, and like I said, it's some, been something worth uh, pointing towards uh, a lesson. My kids also turned me in because they realized that this morning I was actually using a fake phone for my prop all morning because, again, I always mention how guilty I am. Mine's so bad it has a crack in it, and I didn't want to try to you know, hand it around during the middle of the lesson. So they came to me. They said, that wasn't your phone. I said, no, it wasn't. And it's an old one that we've had laying around. But uh, So mine gets a lot of use, too, so much that I've dropped it a bunch, and it's been uh, been cracked, and I'm in need of a new one. But uh, appreciate those, and, and I hope it's challenging. Uh, the book that I mentioned, there were two uh, that that uh, gentleman had written Analog Church a couple of years ago and Analog Christian, and I didn't get a chance to get those and read them for myself yet. Uh, but I mentioned a few that they were, it was challenging um, to hear him talk about those things in some podcasts that he had done. Uh, and I wanted to take other parts of it and make maybe even a few other lessons kind of around this idea of uh, how we handle some of these things today. But I hope that it was uh, challenging, at least, you know, to our thoughts and appreciate your, your comments there. We are to almost the end of the Old Testament in our Book of the Month Club, as we call it. We'll look at Zechariah today, and then at some point next month, I've not had one Sunday like the second Sunday. We do it every second Sunday, but uh, kind of bounce around. But we'll come back and talk about Malachi, uh, God be willing, before we finish up the Old Testament and look at some of the intertestamental period. But we have made mention each time that the minor prophets are not called minor prophets because of their importance, uh, but only because of their length. And it makes for good study because we can work through them pretty easy. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we looked at Haggai, which is only two chapters long. Zechariah is another one that gets a little bit longer. It's 14 chapters in total. Uh, and it, you know, looking at it and putting this together this lesson, uh, it's a little difficult. I I'll admit, you know, I'm not immune to it, to, to be not be honest and say some of it's kind of hard to read. But there are also some lessons that we hope to get out of it uh, in our short study this afternoon. We sometimes try to go through a brief outline, and really, Zechariah breaks down to two parts. It's really the first eight chapters and then the last few chapters, one through eight and then nine through 14. We would say that, that chapters one through eight are messages about the temple rebuilding. We're going to get there in just a moment when we talk about his contemporaries and where he falls. But Zechariah was one of the names that our kids read during the Bible Bowl in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Because Haggai and Zechariah are mentioned as the prophets during that time. So take, go back with me for just a moment. A few months ago, as we preached through Ezra and Nehemiah, these two men, both Haggai and Zechariah, were preaching were prophesying during that time. Remember we said that Nehemiah's job was to rebuild the wall. Zerubbabel was helping rebuild the temple. And it's during that period of rebuilding that Zechariah is preaching these messages. He, we might say the beginning here is about the temple rebuilding. He's calling the nation to repentance. Remember they've been in captivity. They've marched with Zerubbabel, a bunch of them back home to rebuild the temple. And so he's calling them to repentance. And there are visions in the first eight chapters about God's care for them. And the nation is promised a return to God's favor, which is ultimately looking to the Messiah. 
We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Don't, I don't want to get too far ahead. The second part we might say is chapters 9 through 14, and it's messages after the temple rebuilding. After the temple rebuilding, it's going to talk about Zion. We think about Jerusalem and Mount Zion. Zion's victories due to the Messiah's triumph, Jesus' coming and his triumph. In that, after the rebuilding of the temple, Zechariah preaches about how Zion's only future hope is the Messiah. They're pointing the way. And, and by the way, you know, we said that Ezra and Nehemiah really should be the last two books in your Old Testament, but we're not far from that if you look in your Bible because they are preaching, prophesying towards the end, and Jesus is coming soon uh, in the first form as he's going to come to this earth and be born of a virgin. So the breakdown is really simple. Uh, it deals with promises, or excuse me, purposes of the message, the messages that he was giving in the first eight chapters, and then the promises of the Messiah that will be in the back half of the book. All right, sometimes this is a little more uh, interesting, sometimes it's not, but the author, we have no reason to think it's other than Zechariah, and we do usually emphasize that it is ultimately the Holy Spirit who are guiding these men to write down these things. Um, there are some scholars, I always use that with a little bit of hesitation, there are some scholars who would argue that it was someone else. The funny thing about all these scholars arguing for that is they don't even agree then who it was. Uh, and so if we really were to have the time to sit down and examine the book, uh, there's not a, a reason to think that it's someone other than Zechariah. By the way, if you like to make notes, I know many of you do, the name means Jehovah remembers. Jehovah remembers is what the name Zechariah means. Jehovah remembers. And we're talking about them coming back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the Messiah coming. God is going to remember them. One of the challenging things that we come back to when we think about the author sometimes is the name. Not what the name means, but in particular with Zechariah, it depends on who you talk to, but there are at least 25, some say 29 men in the Bible go by this name. So context, 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 like we always say, it matters. If you're going to talk to someone about Zechariah, you need to know which one and where his name is used, what part of the Bible, what book it's mentioned in, because some say 25, some say 29, but there are this many men that go by that name. Uh, our kids know him, as we sometimes do in the Bible, by his full name, which is his name followed by son of blank, right? We read that a lot in the Old Testament. If you read Ezra, you'll see that it's Zechariah, son of Ido, I-D-D-O, Ido. That's what he's mentioned as in the book of Ezra when it mentions Zechariah. He was the son of Berechiah, son of Ido. And you, if you know the Old Testament, you know that sometimes they mention fathers, sometimes they mention grandfathers. Even Jesus is mentioned in the New Testament as what? Son of David, right? Well, David was not his father, but sometimes as they do that, they go back and they go back and they get, grab some of the um, ancestors. And so he is mentioned in Ezra chapter 5 as Zechariah, son of Iddo. We mentioned this already briefly in the introduction, kind of, but he was a contemporary and co-worker with Haggai. They're working around the same time, and they're not necessarily working together we might say, uh, some of you are, are jotting that down, but I had one other slide I wanted to show because when you look at the messages, and I know uh, it's been several weeks since we look at the book Haggai, but Haggai was more of a rebuking book. It was really getting on to them for what they were doing. So Z Haggai is rebuking them. Zechariah is more encouraging. 
with his messages. As you read the first eight chapters and certainly the back half of the book that talks about the Messiah coming, it is encouraging. So what does that look like? What do we call that? Well, some people would say that's the good cop, bad cop routine, right? That's what that kind of looks like. That may be a fair way to say it. And again, it's not that they sat down and planned out, well, you're going to be the bad cop and I'll be the good cop. But their messages, based on the way they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, was simply Haggai is very strongly worded, very rebuking. You need to change. You need to repent. And Zechariah is going to be more encouraging But that is uh, the way that they are known and the the way that their messages are shared. uh, Zechariah is called by some people the messianic prophet of the minor prophets. Now, notice all that, and let's talk about it for a second. Why do we say it that way specifically? If you think about Old Testament prophecies, who do we usually think about? We think about Isaiah, right? Isaiah 53, Isaiah 1, 2, and 3, and all the the messages about Jesus in Isaiah. Well, Isaiah is a major prophet. And so when we think about differentiating between the two, the one of the minor prophets that talks about Jesus the most is Zechariah. Someone wrote that he has more messianic prophecy, more prophecy about Jesus than any other prophet besides Isaiah. I'm going to be honest with you. I hadn't thought about it that way. I've talked about Zechariah a few times, but until I started studying this, I did not think about how chapters 9 through 14 really deal with some messianic things. Now, we're going to conclude with that in just a moment. As we get to the end, we're going to talk about about three different instances where Zechariah preaches about the Messiah, and then we read it. We're going to look at it in the New Testament, uh, specifically Matthew. So uh, that is important, and I want to make mention. It's kind of one of those things where you hear the preacher say sometimes, "If you get nothing else, you know, you get nothing else from this lesson." I think this is an important thing. Zechariah is going to be very, very important when it comes to preaching about the Messiah. A key thought from the book would be, "Return to me, return to me." What are they returning? To or where? Well, they're returning to Jerusalem, right? They've been, they came back with Zerubbabel and Ezra, chapter 1. Ezra's going to return later in Ezra. And so they are returning to Jerusalem. They're returning to their roots. They're returning to building. But ultimately, ultimately they need to be returning to God. And when we think about the messages of Zechariah, it is rebuilding lives. You know, Zerubbabel's talking about the temple. Nehemiah is going to come along later and talk about the wall, but Haggai and Zechariah are talking about restoring lives, restoring worshiping God and living in the correct way. And so a key thought is return to me. And that is as we, again, we kind of separate out both Zechariah and uh, Zechariah and Haggai and then Zerubbabel and Nehemiah. The message, the bottom line is to keep our priorities straight. You know, return to me, keep your priorities straight, rebuild the temple. You remember that at one point they get together and they realize uh, that, you know, they've been taking care of themselves. There was the stopping and they've been taking care of their own things and they need to get back to rebuilding the temple. They need to return to building the Lord's house. And that's really this kind of key thought of return to me. All right, I know this is going to be probably really hard to make out from your seat, but I thought it was interesting, and one person shared this, and I tried to put it in a chart form. Um, But the first uh, 
the first column deals with Haggai's first message, his second, Zechariah's first. There's overlap. It's Haggai's, Haggai's, Zechariah's, Haggai's, Haggai's, Zechariah's. They're preaching at the same time. Haggai's first message is in the second year and the sixth month on the first day. By the way, if you're still open to Zechariah there, turn back backwards to Haggai 1, verses 1 through 15, and you'll see this. Can I challenge you that, I, and I'm the same way, we don't read Scripture this way to pay attention to the years, but it mentions that it was the second year on the sixth month of the first day of King Darius or Darius that Haggai's first message was proclaimed. His second message came a month later or a month and a half. Zechariah's first message came a month after that. Look, Zechariah 1, 1 through 6, the eighth month of the second year. Have you ever thought about that? They are, it's telling us they are back to back, month after month, the sixth month, the seventh month, the eighth month, the ninth month. In fact, Haggai's third and fourth message in the middle of this chart are on the same day. There's no break. He's still preaching. The message might change a little bit, but he's still going. And then the 11th month before finally it's a couple of years before Zechariah's third message. It, it reminded me in hearing this, and I wanted to try to share it in a chart form, that yes, we know. There's no arguing. There's no debate. Well, did Zechariah write it or not? Or was this the date of the book or not? There's no debate. We can know when Darius's second year was from archaeology to other things. And we can read from inspired scripture that month after month after month after month, they are preaching back to back. They're continuing to share the message of God. And that's how it was handled. I think sometimes it's easy to think about, oh, well, there was this minor prophet and there was this minor prophet and get lost in exactly what it is that happened and how it happened and when it happened. But Haggai and Zechariah give us a pretty clear picture and what we know from archaeology and other things that, yes, here they are right on top of each other and they are continually preaching. And as we have emphasized, by the way, let me mention it here. You think sometimes it's difficult to preach today? And I, I'm not mentioning, talking about just me or, or sympathy for preachers, but you know the messages that are preached do not jive with what our country and our world is saying, right? That's what it is. And it's difficult today to preach because you know and we worry. I'll never forget uh, when we first moved back to Dunlap um, that uh, Dr. Brad Harib, who works with Focus Press, was holding a meeting at Dunlap, and this would have been, you know, 2007, 8, just, I mean, many years ago now. And I remember there had been some discussion, I think maybe in Texas, I can't remember what the state was exactly, about passing some laws that would word it in such a way that preachers would not be able to preach against homosexuality. And I remember as a guy fresh out of Freed Hardeman, been a youth minister for a year, thinking, you know, oh no, are they fixing to start dragging preachers off to prison? Well, guess what? It didn't happen yet. It didn't happen in that moment. But can I ask you, do you know, do you realize, has it gotten any better, right? Has it gotten any calmer? Not necessarily. We're not in our country yet dragging preachers off who say things that maybe go against what culture thinks. But yet, it's still a problem. It's still kind of always at a fever pitch, it feels like. And who knows? We love this country and a lot of things about it, but it could happen one day. But I think about that. And I think about these prophets. Sometimes it was very, very difficult. Uh, and again, not to, you know, kind of jokingly, but not to draw attention to preachers today that, that's that hard or that. But we know that even not just the preacher, but the message of the church here and Christians is countercultural, And people are not going to want to hear it. 
And Haggai and Zechariah, often like many of these minor prophets, had a difficult task on their hand, but they continued to preach. They continued to share the message of God with the people. And as we've said today, the message of this book is return to me. All right, we are going to go through the book for just a moment and think about Zechariah and the Messiah. And again, if you have your Bible handy, we're going to kind of turn back and forth. But let's look first of all at Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9. Notice there that he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you don't have to turn there to remember it, but it is the beginning of Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, where we read about what we call the triumphal entry. And again, I just want to challenge you. I've just got a couple of these. I had more, but I kind of cut back on some of them for our purposes this afternoon. But I, I think I've got, you know, 10 or 12 total the, of these prophecies that are mentioned. But what's the point? Well, when you think of prophecy about Jesus, me too, I think of Isaiah. Isaiah talking about him hanging on the cross. Isaiah 53, the suffering Savior. And that's true. But Zechariah 9, 9 is where you find the riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And as he does it there, it is fulfilled. And if you turned over to Matthew 21, you may not have. But if you did, I have a notation about that, the quotation and the reference to Zechariah 9, 9. And so this is one of the places uh, where it comes up. Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and riding on a donkey. What about Zechariah chapter 11 and verse number 12? Zechariah 11 and verse number 12. He says there, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And you do know, Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 15, where there is the mention, And they counted out to him, who? Him? Judas Iscariot? 30 pieces of silver. And then later in verses uh, chapter 27, where he is wanting to return that, where he's going to go and take his own life. But yes, uh, it, this idea is mentioned in Zechariah chapter 11 and verse number 12, the idea of 30 pieces of silver being the wages there. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse number 1. 13 and verse number 1. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Now, for this one, we're going to go forward to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 14. But it's in Hebrews 9 as, as the Hebrew writer is talking about Jesus' sacrifice. He's talking about the animal sacrifices. And he says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The idea of this fountain that is opened for sin. By the way, that's not so much an exact quotation there in Hebrews, but we do quote it. When do we quote it? When there's a fountain free, tis for you and me. Where does that come from? Did you ever wonder if someone just pulled that out of thin air to write that song? No, Zechariah chapter 13 and verse number 1. And I think that is encouraging to us as we do realize that we sing 
words that are from Scripture. You know, we emphasize for you, we, we ask all of us to remember the words and to pay attention to the words. By the way, that goes beyond our worship. In our worship, we should be paying attention to the words so that we think about what we're singing. But should we not also be checking to make sure that what we're singing is correct? Right? I've heard a lot of people talk lately. There are so-called newer songs, some new songs that are written from time to time, and they make their way into our singing, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we're sure that what we're singing is from the Bible. If we're singing it, we should be sure that we mean it and that it's true. Uh, it may sound pretty. The melody may be great. That's okay in one sense, but we need to be sure that it's also scriptural, and this is certainly one. There's a fountain free, and Zachariah mentions that. I want to give you one more. I didn't put it on the slides, but it's Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 10. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 10. Again, we're talking about the Messiah. All these back chapters are talking about the Messiah coming. Zechariah says, verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to see and from the river to the ends of this earth. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 28, we so often quote the Great Commission, Matthew 28 and verses 18 through 20. You remember that when we talk about that, we usually go to the end of, we actually go to verses 19 and 20 is what I meant to say. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Zechariah prophesies here that the king shall reign from sea to sea. When Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 28, he talks in verses 19 and 20 about the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go, therefore, and make disciples. We often do not read verse 18, right? Because it picks up the thought, but it's not the whole verse. Jesus begins by saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I've used the example before, but if someone comes to your door, do you not look for or ask them for some type of identification? What is that that we're asking for? We're asking for their power. What authority do you have to show up here on my doorstep and ask to do this or say you're going to do this? And I know that many of you are aware that you know, there's constant things that happen in our world where someone is pretending to be someone else, right? Maybe someone's trying to commit a robbery or something and they're in an you know, unmarked van or whatever and they knock on the door and they're really after something sinister you know, to, to steal or to break in. So we say, why are you here? Can I see some identification? You know, we think about shows where police or the FBI or whoever shows their badge, right? When Jesus gives the Great Commission, he doesn't just say, hey guys, I think this is a good thing, you need to go. He begins by saying, all authority has been given to me. This is the power, and it's been given to go into all the world. It's been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so there's a bit of a connection there when Zechariah says in chapter 9 and verse 10 that the king will reign from sea to sea. He absolutely will. He came to this earth and he lived and he died. And as he's giving his instructions to his disciples, he says, I've got the authority. And in a sense, I am passing some of it, of course, not all of it, but some of it to you so that you can then go and teach and make disciples and baptize these folks in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful prophecy that I think we would very often overlook if we're not careful. I hope that this has been uh, a few things about Zechariah that you may not have thought about before. We're about to conclude this service and this particular sermon with an invitation song about Jesus. You may have heard preachers say before that the entire Bible is about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. The Old Testament is the Old Testament's message is he is coming. He's coming. And we're already to the end where on just a few pages the message becomes he's here. He's here. And then the message by the time the New Testament closes is he's coming again. Because it really is all about Jesus. Even looking at Zechariah, which deals a lot with Messianic prophecy and others, it's still all about Jesus. The song we're about to sing is Let Him Have His Way With Thee. In the chorus, we sing about His power, we sing about His blood, and we sing about His love. It's all about Him, and we must submit to Him. And so we, at the end of the lesson, extend Jesus' invitation would you come to him? Would you enjoy his blood, the saving power of his blood? Would you enjoy his love? Would you enjoy salvation? If you're here this afternoon and you've never become a child of God, we sing to encourage you that you would do what we're about to sing. Let him have his way with thee. Maybe you're here and you've done that, but as we sometimes do, we're influenced by someone or something, but we step away and all of a sudden it doesn't have an effect on us anymore, right? We may, even as Christians, need to sing, let him have his way with thee. Would you now, even now as we stand together and as we sing.